0: Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. It's a great day to get together to explore and discover what God has for each of us in these next few moments. He's always doing something new, drawing us closer, deepening our spiritual roots, and making us a little more like Jesus. Even when his work is behind the scenes and we don't get to see instant results, we can trust that he is at work, and his work is always good. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. We're in the business of helping people figure out what it looks like to become more like Jesus in their lives. We love to help people figure out the next step on their spiritual journey. Since you are people, that means you. We're praying for you. If you're visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come as you are kind of church. We're a church of good old regular people. People trying to clean up their messy lives one step in the right direction at a time which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to be in process, figuring it out. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey. Even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on, this is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church by checking out our Facebook page or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Now, let's join our service. You don't have to Google far to find humor on the internet. Uh, A Reader's Digest, that great bastion of Americana, reports these lies told to kids by their parents. Uh, The first one is from a more modern parent. Rob tells his kids that there's an app that tells me if you really brushed your teeth or not. (laughs) That would have been handy when my kids were little. Uh, Here's one that also would have been helpful. Kaylee says that she tells her kids when the ice cream truck's music is on, it means they're all out of ice cream. (laughs) How handy is that? I don't know why they're always out of ice cream. It must be supply chain issues. (laughs) If you had brothers and sisters, your parents might have been as brilliant as Barbara. She told her kids that it was a law that kids couldn't sit in the front seat until they were 18 because she was tired of the arguing about who got to sit in the front. Of course, that must have been when kids could sit in the front seat. Now they have to be in car seats until they're practically 18. What a world we live in. Uh, Kelly was a quick-witted mom. She told her son that the pet store was the zoo because it was so much easier and free to go visit. She got away with it for over three years. The lions must be in a break, honey. Maybe they'll be out next time. I don't know if your kids were as picky of eaters as ours were, but Monica told her daughter that the flax seeds in her bread were miniature chocolate chips, which she believed for over a year. Whenever my own parents wanted us to toe the line, they would tell us that we'd better be good or they'd get Mrs. Bottomwhacker to babysit us. I suppose all parents do it at some point, purely out of desperation, I'm sure, but at some point they lie to their kids. Maybe they were lied to themselves and thought they were passing on what seemed like helpful knowledge, like you have to wait 30 minutes before you go swimming after you eat. That seems helpful, even though the Mayo Clinic has disproven it. Or it takes gum seven years to digest in your stomach, so you'd better not swallow it. Again, not true. (laughs) I'm not even sure what the point of some of the lies were. Maybe you were told that if you cross your eyes, they'll get stuck that way. Anyone else? Uh, or if you crack your knuckles uh, you'll get arthritis wouldn't it have been easier to just say stop it <laughs> do you really need to add anything more than that <laughs> i don't i don't think any of these lies really cause lasting damage uh, maybe They justified a few sessions with a counselor. But in my mind, I think it's our responsibility to give our kids something to deal with in counseling. That's how we know we're doing our job, right? Now, here's a lie that we've all heard before. Say it with me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Anyone else grow up hearing this one on the playground? (laughs) Pure hogwash. But talk about a lie that does damage. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can break my spirit. Words can do permanent damage is more like it. Words have power. Words are powerful. Words have the power to inspire us to great achievement. Like President John F. Kennedy's bold statement in 1962 that we would put a man on the moon. Words like those in Martin Luther King's famous, I have a dream speech, have the power to unite us in great purpose. Words like President Ronald Reagan's, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, have the power to change the course of nations. Of course, words like these that capture the attention of the world are few and far between. But no less powerful are the words we speak to one another on a daily basis. Over the breakfast table, in the boardroom at work, over coffee or a diet coke with a friend, in the classroom, on the on a playground, as you kiss your kids goodnight, whispered sweet nothings with your spouse. Words are powerful. They give us the courage to press on when we're slogging our way through the deepest of valleys. Words inspire us to create a better world for ourselves and our families. Words encourage us to grow and change and become. Words give us hope. Words words build bridges between people. Words give life and they take it. Words are powerful. Now as such, I'm sure it will come as no surprise that the Bible is filled with wisdom, challenge, and instruction about how Christ followers should use their words. In fact, there are at least 70 verses and passages that testify to how we should use words. That much biblical real estate is evidence that the way we talk is important to the one who used his words to bring the universe into being. So for the next few weeks, we're going to unpack what God's word has to say about words and how we use them, though whether we'll use them to kill and destroy or speak life is up to us. We're going to begin our journey with the words of James, the half-brother of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, you might want to turn or navigate to the book of James. It's near the end of the New Testament, just after the book of Hebrews. Uh, James wasn't a believer in his brother, Jesus, while Jesus was his earthly brother. It wasn't until after the resurrection when Jesus appeared to him that he surrendered his life and and he became a Christ follower. And later became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. It is thought that the book of James is perhaps the oldest book in the New Testament, probably written around 45 AD. He was martyred around 62 AD, so certainly before that. Uh, James' central theme is maturity. God wants us to grow up in our faith, and James tells us how to do it. The the five short chapters are filled with practical commands to help us take responsibility for our own spiritual journey. And taming the tongue is an important part of that journey. We're going to pick it up in chapter 3 where James gives us six word pictures to help us understand the power of our tongue. Let's pick it up right at verse verse number 1. Dear brothers and sisters... Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, church services were very different in the first century a church, uh, very different than they are today. They were far more organic. Uh, we know from the Apostle Paul that in Corinth, the, the services could be a bit chaotic feeling as people competed to give a word or wisdom from God. And it appears to be true in Jerusalem as well, hence this warning. Uh, Overall, the church had a far more holistic view of what it meant to teach. Teachers weren't judged only by what they said in the church service, but how they lived out that teaching in their daily living. If you were a teacher, you were a teacher, period. In and out of the church service, you were never not leading, never not teaching, So integrity between what you said and what you did was incredibly important to your credibility. So this is an encouragement that teachers should be more mature in their spiritual journey so that the lack of integrity between word and deed doesn't become a stumbling block for others. But integrity between word and deed isn't only necessary for teachers. We are all tempted to sin. He continues, Indeed... We all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Now, this is important. Don't miss this. Remember, James is concerned with Christian maturity, he wants to help us understand what is required of adult Christians. So, of course, we all struggle with integrity between our words and our deeds, we all make many mistakes. The way this verse is phrased, if we aren't careful, we can get the idea that James is saying our tongue is the gateway to spiritual maturity. And how we control our tongue, well, then if we can learn to do that, it will be, will be perfect. Will we become perfect? By which James is not saying that we become perfect in that we never sin. He means that our faith is perfected. We have become mature followers of God. How you use your words is a key marker of your Christian maturity. Not because, the, because tongue control leads to maturity, but because it reveals maturity. It is a symptom of something that has already occurred in you. The more control you have over the tongue, the more mature you are in your faith. Tongue control is proof of God's work already done inside you. It's evidence that you can already control the other parts of your life that aren't as visible as the tongue. In the loosest sense of the word visible, since you can't actually see the words you speak. When you can control your tongue, you don't just control your tongue... But you have the discipline discipline to control every other aspect of your life as well. Because you can't have tongue control without heart control. Uh, Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6 verse 45. He said it. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say flows... From what is in your heart. Which means that you don't have tongue control. Without also having the ability to love like Jesus. Without joy. Without peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And everyone's favorite. Say it with me. Self-control. All of those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. That flow from a heart deeply rooted in Jesus. Which then overflows to our words. On the other hand, the opposite of all of those spiritual gifts uh, of the Holy Spirit will sum up with the words that Jesus uses. They are evil things, which also overflow from our hearts into our words. Now, are you beginning to understand why tongue control is such an important sign of Christian maturity? It really is quite amazing that God has entrusted the stewardship of such power to us, <laughs> the people who can't seem to get our act together and actually steward that power in the right direction most of the time, which is the first power that James illustrates with his first two word pictures. The, the tongue has the power to direct. Now let's, let's look at the next two verses. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Like the tongue, both the bit and the rudder are small things in and of themselves, yet they exercise great power. A small bit allows a rider to control a mighty stallion. A small rudder allows a pilot to steer a huge ship. A bit must overcome the wild nature of a horse. A rudder must fight the winds and waves that would take a ship off course. The same is true with our tongue. Our old nature is at war with our new nature. Sin and holiness at war in our bodies and we constantly find ourselves in situations that encourage us to say things that are better left unsaid from a righteousness perspective, Sin on the inside and pressure on the outside fight for control of our tongue. Regardless of their capacity for control, the bit and rudder are only useful under the guidance of a strong hand. Even with a bit, it takes an experienced horseman to overcome the wild nature of a horse. Just as it takes an experienced pilot to steer a ship in a storm. Which reminds me, when I was a young five-year-old boy, I was the victim of a RUI accident, R-U-I. A RUI is like a Dewey driving under the influence, only RUI stands for riding under the influence. We were at a rodeo in eastern Oregon, and a, a mom and I were walking to the restroom or the concession stand, and a drunk horseman ran over me with the horse, with a horse stepping on my knee when I was on the ground. Even with a bit, it takes a strong, sober rider to control the nature of the horse. Or maybe the horse was drunk, who knows? I'd expect a horse to have more horse sense even with a bit in its mouth. (laughs) For us, when Jesus is in control of our lives, the tongue follows. King Solomon warned us that the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk Will reap the consequences, which is probably why David prayed, Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift off toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. David understood that the heart is the key to tongue control. As Warren Wearsby says in his commentary, When Jesus Christ is the Lord of the heart, he is Lord of the lips. Two, the, the bit and the rudder have the power to direct, which means that they can impact the lives of others. As we've already seen, a runaway horse can injure others. A shipwreck could do the same. The words we speak affect the lives of others. I can't tell you how many times someone has come up, and told, uh, come up to me and told me something, that something I have long forgotten having said changed the course of their lives most of the time for the better but not always never underestimate the power of your words to impact another person for that matter we should also consider the words we don't speak or withhold from others we are called to speak life into others period end of story there is no place in scripture that gives an exception which brings us to James's next two word pictures. Besides the the power uh, besides that uh, we have the power to direct our words have the power to destroy. Verse 5. In the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes a grand, that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. I'm not sure if you've had the chance to drive up Highway 22 toward Bend since the Labor Day fires, uh, now almost two years ago. Uh, The area is still practically unrecognizable. Uh, Evidence of the damage is everywhere you turn. Just as a fire of unfathomable destruction begins with just a spark, our words start fires. How many times have you gotten catty about someone else with a friend? And your comment worked its way through the gossip chain back to the object of your scorn. Our sparks light fires that become uncontrollable as they do immeasurable damage in other people's lives. Proverbs puts it this way. Fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. A quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers light charcoal or fire lights wood. They say that it takes three things to start a fire. Oxygen, fuel, and heat. Take any one of them away and voila, no fire. I'm not sure which is which when it comes to words, but take away the gossip and quarrels disappear. A quarrelsome person is the spark needed to start fights. Words don't start fires, people misusing words, start fires. You know, uh, think about it. Fires start small and then grow, but their damage isn't limited only to things that actually burn. There is also generally smoke and fire damage to things that don't burn. I've known people who have had to get new furniture and clothes after a fire, not because their old furniture and clothes were left in ashes, but because they survived the fire. Yet they couldn't get the smell of smoke out of them. The same principle is true for our words. There is a ripple effect when we start a fire with our words. We don't just hurt the other person. We hurt the people that love them as well. We hurt our credibility with not only that person. But we hurt our credibility with any witness to the destruction. Even our supporters. We undermine trust all the way around. A person's life can be injured or destroyed by the tongue. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Even when we confess our sin and make up and move on, the damage sits just under the surface used by Satan to continue to destroy. You know this is true because you've struggled to overcome the damage that someone else caused in you. In fact, you can intellectually know that something's not true and still be in bondage to the negative impact of someone's words to, or about you. Not only is the tongue like a fire, But James also likens it to a dangerous animal. It is restless and wild, not like a cute little puppy, but dangerous and destructive. And like some animals are poisonous, so is the tongue. And while that makes me initially think about the venom of a poisonous snake that quickly kills a bite victim, the deceptive thing about poison is that much of the time it does its work in secret and works slowly and then kills. The end result is the same, of course but I'm not sure which one does more damage along the way. Here's, here's how I think it, it works most of the time in the, in the context of relationships. We don't have to look any further than my life for an example because I am a recovering poisoner. You see, I'm a, I'm a verbal processor. I think out loud. When I'm working out an idea or solving a problem or whatever, I, if I can just say it out loud, I can make it make sense. That's not the poison part, by the way. Lots of people are like me in that sense. My problem rears its ugly, untamed head when, in the aftermath of a conflict with someone. As a verbal processor, I want to find a friend to verbally process the conflict. I verbally vomit all of this negative emotion about whoever I'm in conflict with and whatever else is going on. I vomit that all over my friend. And in the process, I release the steam. God speaks to my heart. He gives me wisdom and all of that good stuff. And I'm good. I feel better. I've worked out the angst and I know what to do next. Life goes on. The problem is that all of that verbal vomit has negatively changed the way my friend sees that person. Even under the best of circumstances, if I've said everything fairly incorrectly correctly. I leave my friend with a diminished view of the other person. I've lowered their respect or trust, even their desire to have a relationship with that other person. And under the worst of circumstances, they get defensive for me, take up my cause, get angry, and the fire grows and spreads. By the way, it also leaves my friend wondering if that's how I talk about them. So it's a double-edged sword. But that... Is poison. So nowadays I just say no to poison. I do everything I can not to to be the source of poison or the spreader of someone else's poison. I don't want any part in negatively impacting someone's view or opinion of someone else. What I've learned to do instead is to have redemptive conversations, which we will talk about later in this series. James does remind us that there are animals that can be tamed. In fact, even fire can be tamed. When you tame an animal, you get a worker instead of a destroyer. When you tame fire, you, you generate power. But in the case of the tongue, only Jesus can tame it. And when he does, it changes lives. It becomes a tool for God to use for his glory. Which brings us to the next power of the tongue, the power To delight. James goes on to say that sometimes the tongue praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Okay, let's start with verse 11 and work our way back to verse 9. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Water is essential to life. Water is life-giving. We need it for drinking, for washing, cooking, watering. Water is life-giving when it is controlled. Just like the other things that we've talked about. Uh, Kentucky is experiencing the aftermath of uncontrolled water right now. When water is not controlled, it can bring death and destruction, just like fire. And so goes the tongue. Back in Proverbs, we learn that wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flows from, a wi- from the wise like a bubbling brook. And from Proverbs 10, the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. Uh, Even though we know water can bring destruction with it, that's not what we think about when we take a drink from a nice cold glass of water on a hot summer day. That's when it's nourishment, refreshing, life-giving. Water also cleanses In Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel records his vision of a stream flowing from the temple of God. It flows east through the desert into the Dead Sea. Everywhere it flows, it brings life. But when it reaches the Dead Sea, it cleanses it and makes the salty water fresh and pure, allowing life to flourish. So it should go with our tongue. It should bring life to everything it touches. And our tongues are like a tree. Uh, In the Middle East where James was writing this uh, and fig trees and olive trees uh, flourish. Trees are vital to life. They hold down the soil. They provide beauty and shade for rest and they bear fruit. Our words can help shelter and encourage others. They can feed hungry souls. But the most important thing about the tree is the root system. If the roots do not grow down, grow down deep, the tree will not grow in a healthy way above ground. When we are deeply rooted in the things of the Lord, our words will be the fruit of our fellowship with him. It is only then that the words of Isaiah will also be true for us. The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom. So that I will know how to use them, how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. Now, of course, for the first half of that verse to be true, the second half must be as well. We all want wisdom. But there's something that that goes with that. The sovereign Lord gives words of wisdom as an overflow of the connection that we have with him. Jesus modeled this for us. Even Jesus would rise in the morning, find a solitary place and pray. Uh, the, The source of his wisdom was his connection with God the Father. If we are going to have tongues that delight, we will have to have lives deeply rooted in Jesus, which comes when we meet with him regularly. We must be in his word. We must pray and meditate and practice the other spiritual disciplines that God has given us to deepen our roots. But here's the warning. You can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. It is either or. If your tongue is inconsistent, you have a heart issue. Your wellspring has a problem. In fact, think about that for a moment. Uncontrolled tongues say more about you than your words say about others. They reveal something about you. Years ago, I don't think I'm outing anyone here, it's been so long. Years ago, I was standing in line behind a day springer who was unhappy with the store clerk helping her. She didn't know I was standing behind her, didn't know that she had an audience to what she was saying. But by the time she was done expressing her displeasure with the clerk, my opinion of the clerk had only gone up. She handled the situation with kindness and grace. And I was also disappointed in how the Dayspringer had represented Jesus in those moments. What she said to and about the clerk revealed a chink in her own character. And not a thing about the object of her frustration. Frankly, I was a little more than a little embarrassed for the Dayspringer. People will cause frustration and disappointment. But that never gives us a license to speak poorly to or about them never. Bringing us back to verse 9. Sometimes the tongue praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely my brothers and sisters, this is not right. How many times have you been jamming along with the latest Christian hits on K-Love while you're just cursing the driver who just cut you off? Hmm? No need to raise any hands. What flows out of your mouth finds its way through your heart. And God wants all of your heart, all of the time. Anything less is unworthy of him on our part. And offensive to him on his part. Even if it were possible, you wouldn't want to drink salt water out of a freshwater spring. Neither does he. But then again... That isn't even possible, is it? You will never drink fresh water out of a fresh water spring because it isn't possible to have both at the same time from the same source. If you've got a tongue problem, you have a heart problem. Inconsistent speech comes from a heart that is consistently negative, deceitful, or bitter. Inconsistent speech reveals that you have a connection problem with the source of life. That's what James wants us to understand. Now let's let's be honest for a moment. Most of us have read this passage before. And even if you've never looked at the power of, of your tongue this way before, you knew it instinctively. You already knew that your words have the power to give life and take it away. You've been on both the giving and the receiving end of this equation. And yet... You still belittled your spouse last week. You were rude to the people who screwed up your order at McDonald's. You made your kids feel stupid because they didn't do something right. Maybe even yelled at them for it. You commiserated with with your coworker about the unfairness of that jerk boss. And you didn't tell your arch nemesis that their presentation was fantastic because, well, you don't like them. You rolled your eyes in disdain during that meeting. Yes, even nonverbal communication counts. Cursed at that idiot in traffic. What have I forgotten? <laughs> Again, isn't that James's point? What does that reveal about your spiritual maturity? Grow up! Here's what I want you to do this week watch your words, pay attention to what you say and what you want to say, even if you're just using your inside voice, pay attention and try to stop yourself before those words leave your mouth or that soundtrack runs in your mind. Take a deep breath and think to yourself, would I say this if Jesus were here with me? If the answer is no, take it a step deeper. What does what you want to say 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 about your Christian maturity? What does it reveal? What crack in your character does it show you? Simply identify it and name it. Start there. By the way, Jesus is already there with you, but you already knew that, didn't you? (laughs) Like what kind of Christ follower do you want to be? Isn't it time to grow up? Let's pray, Father. It would be way easier for our lives if Your Word didn't reveal our weaknesses. That we could just go on doing whatever we want to do, living life the way we want to do, uh, the way we want to live it. And and yet, Your Word is truth and word. Your word has power and your word calls us to be different than the rest of the world. Your your word calls us to speak differently than the rest of the world. And as James says right at the top, if we could control the tongue, which no one really can, if we could, it would just reveal so much more about what's already happened inside of us. So I guess what that means is we need to work on what's inside of us if we want to control our tongue. It's probably not either or. We probably need to work on controlling our tongue at the same time as working on what's going on inside of us. But Father, do your perfect work inside of us so that every word that leaves our lips honors you and honors the people that we're speaking to and about. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, alone or with others, will help the truth of God's word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is evidence of God's work in your life. If you're just checking us out today, Please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is a responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on maybe even rating us where that is appropriate. It is really encouraging to me when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may the God of all peace give you peace at all times and in every situation.